podcast this late, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew and Mike, it was when the Orlando Brown news broke all the way back in March, but it's been a crazy day, but as reporters, the grind doesn't stop. We are bringing you the best Bengals insights and opinions right here on this late but awesome Tuesday night. Welcome into another, as I mentioned, late night off-season podcast edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Mohamed Ahmad and Andrew Gillis and Mike Nislik back here with you bringing the goods. And I think one of the good things that uh, our listeners definitely want to tune into um, is definitely the thing we've got running through our cleveland.com promotion which is it's called i mentioned this the last couple days it's called why i'm a Bengals fan the way it works is you go to cleveland.com slash Bengals, or better yet go to strictlystripes.com there's a link we have posted which is something along the lines of why i'm a Bengals fan tell us your story you click on it there's a google form that asks you when and why you became a Bengals fan what the Bengals mean to you and not only are we going to share these responses uh, on the podcast here coming up in the next couple weeks and months, if we think your story is really badass, we might have you on this podcast. So uh, if you really want to be part of the cool kids, a.k.a. us three, have a really cool story. Don't lie. Don't exaggerate. Be honest and be authentic because that's what we're all about is authenticity. So go to strictlystripes.com and tell us your story. So we talked about what could we expect from Joe Burrow next year? We had a whole podcast dedicated to, you know, what can Jamar Chase really do as far as breaking records? Because he said he wants to break every Bengals record in the book next year or just about every record. Um, and I think we obviously kind of gave our takes on, like, what should the Bengals rushing game look like? Because there's no small JP Ryan. What can the big three of Boy Chase and Higgins put together? So, and again, these are way too early predictions, but I think this is a really good time of the year to ask these questions. You know, I think when you look at the big three, uh, as far as like the receivers go with Chase Higgins and Boyd, it's worth asking when you look at the receiving yards, their receptions and their touchdowns. And I'm talking just just these three, not the like receivers as a whole, including like Trent and Irwin. If you look at those three, like if you're setting a baseline for combined yards, catches, touchdowns, what's a good baseline? Like what should you expect from them in terms of production like going into 2023, do you base it off of recent trends or do you guys kind of have your own takes on that? Well, in terms of yardage, I think, um, you know, probably, you know, 3,000, 3,100 is probably a good goal. Um, you know, the, I, I, and frankly, I think you could even shoot higher if you're talking about the entire receiving core, um, you know, definitely higher. You just added Charlie Jones in the draft. Um, you know, they didn't really, lean into running back. So you wouldn't, you know, assume, I mean, and also this team is not really a running football team. So this team is not going to just, you know, go out there and run the ball 25 times a game. Um, you know, they didn't really make an, in, like a heavy investment at tight end. Although I think Irv Smith can, uh, you know, if he comes in and stays healthy, I think he's going to have a really productive year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you look at kind of just the guys that you have. I mean, Jamar Chase, I think you could, we talked about this the other day. I think, you know, if, if he's fully healthy for 17 games, you know, even if he misses a game or two, you're probably talking over 100 catches, you know, 1,200 yards, something like that. I mean, T. Higgins through three seasons has had targets of 108, 110, and 109 catches of 60 or total catches per year, 67, 74, and 74. So he's been remarkably consistent. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's going to have about 14 yards a catch. He's going to have about 70-ish catches. He's going to get targeted about 110 times. So I think that there's kind of a, a like a 
you can come up with some numbers there, but you know, I think 3000 for the big three is probably uh that's probably pretty fair. And that's what T Higgins said that their goal was um, when he talked about kind of what his expectations are for the season. Uh, he said 3000 yards for them. Um, and if you think Jamar Chase and T Higgins are going to do what they've done kind of the last couple of years where they've had at least a thousand and Jamar did that last year without even, uh, playing, you know, missing four games. Um, you know, you'd expect it to be around there unless, you know, something goes wrong. Cause you know, even if production of one of them goes down, you're likely, you know, it's going to go to one of the other ones. You know, if T Higgins doesn't have as much, but it's probably going to go to Jamar or Tyler Boyd just cause they're the top three. So I think three, 3000 yards is, is a pretty simple, um, you know, goal for those guys. Um, you might see, I think more receptions just because like Andrew said, uh, tight end, you're going to probably get less. Uh, running back, you're going to get less with uh, Samaje gone. Um, so, um, you know, I, I could see the number being matching more sort of their 2021, you know, 3,300 yards and maybe, you know, receptions around 240, 250, just because you'd expect them to get a few more balls with um, some of those targets gone. I couldn't agree more with everything you guys said. You you mentioned the 2021 stats. They had just over 3,300 yards. I mean, their touchdowns and receptions last year and the year before are almost like spot on. 2021, 222 catches. A year later, 219. 2021, 24 touchdowns. A year later, 23. So they almost like literally match that. So I, I would not be shocked if they get at least 22, 23 touchdowns, if not more. I think reception-wise, you can expect at least 220. And again, that was with Jamar Chase missing four games. If he misses even one or two games, they could still do that. And yeah, I think if you average out the receiving yards the last two years, like 3,000, 3,100, that's a perfect baseline. You mentioned what Higgins said. Obviously, he's he kind of sees the trends that they've had. So yeah, I think that makes sense. And obviously, you guys mentioned... You know, other guys like Trenton Irwin, Charlie Jones. If, if you look at the Bengals receiving unit as a whole, they had the fourth most receiving yards among all receivers. That does include Joe Mixon and P. Ryan, who we're going to talk about later. They had the sixth most with 4,520 yards. So they can catch the ball. And obviously, they can catch the ball because of the guy throwing them the ball, who I want to shift the attention to, and that's Joe Burrow. I mean, we, we could probably, as we've done, do another entire podcast on, you know, what benchmarks can Burrow set what will Burrow break in terms of his own personal records? He's already set several franchise records as far as like passing goes, um, at least in a season with how you know young he is in his career. That's remarkable. So before I even ask like what a benchmark is, here's maybe an even a better rhetorical question, or I'm sorry, a better hypothetical question. Can you see this guy throwing for 5,000 yards next year, first off? Or is that maybe, is that stretching it? I think it's possible. Um, you know, I you know, you look at the last two years. I mean, he's only played sixteen games, so he he's actually never played seventeen. Um, obviously, it was kind of out of his control. But um, you know, I think you know, in in twenty one, you know, we talked about this before. You know, defenses kind of played them differently. They were more reliant on the, on the deep ball. Um, you know, I think that if you can get back to that, it's possible. Um, you know, in terms of I, I, you know, I pulled this up earlier. In terms of uh, plays per game, um, you know the Bengals were still pretty decent, uh, according to Football Database FD, uh, Football DB. Uh, they ran 1,053 offensive plays in uh, 2022. Um, you know, if you run another 50, 
in in that Bills game, which got canceled. Um, you know, you're you're Good somewhere point. around the top ten. Um, so I think you know football. It's such a weird. You know, you you hear guys talk about complimentary football, um, and, and this is kind of one of the things where you know it's not really. Um, you know, it's not really just lip service. I think that, you know, if the defense can improve uh, and the defense was already pretty decent last year, you know, get you more stops, get you more time of possession on offense, then you can really start to rack up those numbers if, if the offense is on the field just for longer um, or even not even just for longer. I'm not even talking time of possession. If you can just run more plays. Um, so th- there's a couple different ways that it could happen. I think it's possible. Um, but it, it, I mean, again, it is really hard to throw for 5,000 yards. Um, so, uh, we'll see, I guess. Well, 15 players have done it, uh, in NFL history, three, that's happened three times in the last two years. Uh, Justin Herbert and Tom Brady did it in 2021. Patrick Holmes did it in 2022. He's Mm -hmm. done it uh, twice in his career. Um, Drew Brees did it the most, I think. What is it? Uh, one, two, three, four, five times. Yeah. Um, you know, is it possible? Yes. Um, but probably a lot of things have to, uh, sort of fall into place. I think you, you mentioned defensively, you know, I, I think it's going to be hard uh, for them to take a step forward, but maybe that means that they have to throw more because they're going to, these are games are going to be higher scoring, you know, with that secondary, um, you know, maybe the, the, some of these games that last year weren't very competitive, like that Carolina game, you know, they have to, they have to throw a bit more. Um, is it possible? Yes. I, I don't think that would be the benchmark that, um, you know, realistic benchmark he would set. I mean, if you're looking at his last two, two years, I think you can say 4,500 passing yards and, you know, 35 touchdowns is sort of where he's been at with, you know, completion percentage hovering around 70%. I mean, those are pretty, you know, Pro Bowl caliber numbers, um, and seems to be where he's at. That said, well, you know, if the running game takes a step back and this team becomes even more one-dimensional, maybe it is him all the time, and and five thousand yards is, is is easily attainable. The reason why I specifically asked that because number one, I am curious. Like, you know, I always say, what is the best that's yet to come from Burrow, and maybe that's part of what's the best to come. But I mean, like you said, Mike, you kind of beat me to it. Mahomes did it last year. Uh, and he won MVP due in part to the fact that he did that with without Tyreek Hill, which, I mean, yeah, I think when I actually think about it like that, like it's like, yeah, he did something most guys don't do, and he did it without one of the best players in the game at wide receiver. So, yeah, uh, and Andrew would agree with me. I think that's why you got to give him MVP, which bears the question of, okay, yeah, like uh, Burrow does have some of the best receivers in the game, and they are only getting better and better, and so is Burrow. So, like, is it unreasonable to expect that? Like you guys said, probably not. Is it easy? Far from it. Um, I guess, you know, and this is so interesting because kind of like the receivers uh, having similar stats the last two years with the big three, Burrow's numbers are not that different. Like his passing yards were about 150 yards fewer in 2022, which again, I think is partially because they had one fewer game because of the cancellation against Buffalo. Otherwise, his passing yards are pretty similar. I mean, he threw, what, 35 touchdowns last year, one less the year before, 12 interceptions last year, only two more the year before, and, what, 68% completion percentage last year, and you get the point I'm making, 70% the year before. So his numbers are really spot on, and I don't think it's surprising that it coincides with the receiver's numbers being spot on. So assuming, you know, the receivers trend upwards, logically you'd assume Burrow does the same, I mean, 
completing 70% of your passes still blows my mind. Can he complete 75? Can he maybe complete like 73? Or is 70 almost where you have to keep it? Because obviously, he leads the NFL all time in completion percentage. He qualified for that last year. I mean, how high can you go, I guess, if you're Joe Burrow at that point with completing the ball? I mean, yeah, like I said, I think around 70% is what he's going to do. That's just kind of how he's built. Um, you know, that's that's his strength, right? Um, I, I don't think you'll see it, you know, go much higher just because you know, defenses are still going to make plays and, you know, you're still going to have uh, busted routes or miscommunications. But, um, I mean, that's still on pace to set the NFL record. So that's pretty darn good. But, I mean, I don't think it'd be fair to say, you know, oh, he's going to compete 80, 80% of his passes. I mean, that just seems – um, that's you know, bonkers. Yeah, absurd. But I mean, he's still one of the most accurate quarterbacks to ever play the game. So, um, you know, seventy percent is pretty darn good. I mean, let's say, like, from a betting standpoint, because I know Andrew would probably laugh at this. Let's say, like, someone—I don't know how this works because I'm the farthest thing from a betting expert. Someone places a bet preseason that Burrow will complete seven seventy-five percent, at least seventy-five, and he hits like seventy-five point two. I mean, that would be a rich man, I would think, or a rich woman, whoever puts a bet on that. Like, it'd be pretty crazy. But like you, like you said, I mean, 70 is as good as it gets. Like, I think he may – people are looking at that saying, yeah, that's already good enough. I, I think I'm with you guys on that. 40 touchdowns? Is that possible? I mean, I, I know I'm probably being repetitive at this point, but like Mahomes threw for 40 touchdowns with his 5,000 yards. Burrow's only five or six touchdowns shy from having done that in the season pretty realistic i would think right yeah i mean i mean technically he threw for for 36 um because you know the the bills game which got canceled i mean he oh, yeah a touchdown pass in that game so i mean he he was probably going to throw one or two more just kind of you know how that offense looked i mean they were kind of humming uh early on in that game so i think that you know you're at he was at 34 in 2021 and he played 16 games he was at 35 last year and he played 16 games I mean you can absolutely convince me of a of a world where you know this team you know is pretty successful offensively and uh you know with with the running game kind of up in the air you know you had Samaje as kind of your short yardage back and now you don't have that you know so do you have to rely more on the passing game I think that, uh, you know, maybe if you do that more in the red zone a little bit, because they're already such a good red zone team, um, if you do that, I mean, I think 40 is actually probably – I mean, if you were talking about yardage, you know, all yardage or completion percentage or whatever, I think 40 touchdowns is actually probably the uh, one of the numbers that I would actually feel safest about saying that he's going to hit. Before we go to break, um, I don't want to zoom in, obviously, on one guy except Burrow because he's on an island with his position. But, I mean, Irv Smith Jr., I mean, he's coming in. He's the lead tight end. You look at Hayden Hurst. He made 52 catches last year. CJ Uzama made about 49 the year before. They both had at least 400 receiving yards and a pair of touchdowns. I mean, do you think Irv Smith will pretty much match that? Like, do you think he'll just kind of follow that same precedent that Uzama and Hurst set? Well, I mean, that's, I think, the hope. Um, you know, if if they were – you know, I think if you it, – it's a weird world because I think if you drafted a tight end, right, like if you drafted Michael Mayer uh, or if you drafted Dalton Kincaid or if you drafted insert tight end here, you know, I think that, you know, kind of going into this year, if you would have said, ah, you know, maybe they're not Hayden Hurst in year one, I think you would have honestly been okay with that and I think you might have even planned for that. 
if uh, just considering the tight end position and, and how hard it is to kind of, you know, evaluate and how hard it is to, to kind of come into the NFL and immediately contribute. I mean, look at some of the other tight ends that have been drafted in round one uh, throughout the last, you know, handful of years. And it's just really hard. So I think uh, if you can get some kind of production that's similar to Hurst, you're feeling really good about that. Yeah, I'd have a hard time seeing it just because I, I don't know. I mean, I know he's um, pretty athletic, but he hasn't really done, he doesn't have a history of sort of, um, the, you know, being a breakout sort of, you know, targeted tight end in the receiving game. I'm not sure how much flexibility he has. Uh, what we'll see, I mean, uh, you know, and how much there is to go around, you know, do they focus on some of the, you know, like a, bring along Charlie Jones and try to get him some targets or, or, you know, choosing the receivers differently with four wide receiver sets. I just think it would be difficult for him to sort of match what Hayden Hurst did. But, you know, Hayden Hurst missed some time. And maybe uh, if uh, Irv Smith, you know, plays the whole season, um, you know, he, he's able to do it. Yeah, I think maybe if you make a safe bet, just given everything you mentioned, Mike, maybe 40 catches, possibly 35, but maybe potentially 40 350 yards, a pair of touchdowns is a safe way to go. He could obviously break that. Like you said, I think it just depends on what does Charlie Jones get and how much more do the other receivers get. But stay with us because speaking of offense, we haven't talked about the glass eaters. And we have one of the glass eaters on the Bengals offensive line, Cordell Volson, joining me in a one-on-one conversation. And it's a great conversation you don't want to miss when we return right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me is Bengals left guard Cordell Volson going into his second year. Although it feels like yesterday you were just a rookie and now you're going into your second year. First of all, I appreciate you doing this. How has the offseason been? How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well. The offseason has been great. Um, you know, it's been great, great to be back here in Cincy with, with so many of the guys are here and just been putting in the work to, to have a big year this year. What is the mindset difference as a rookie versus going into year two? You know, I think that, that uh, you know, going into year two, you you can perf- perfect your craft um, more. You know, as a rookie, you're still trying to, to learn the system and, and learn, um, you know, the the uh, technique and things that are being taught. And now, now going into year two, understand all those things and, and now can just sharpen the sword of, of all those things. How nice is it having someone like Frank Pollock who can help you sharpen that sword? He's he's been been unbelievable. Um, you know, I I appreciate him a lot. We we have extra meetings together. Just I'll text him and be like, hey, can can we come up and, and just watch a couple things? And and it's great. He's always he's always willing to help his guys out, and, and uh, he truly wants wants his guys to to succeed and be the best that they can be. What makes Frank Pollock in general just such a good coach? It just seems like there's a certain aura that he carries that maybe you don't see in a whole lot of other offensive line coaches. Yeah, I mean, he played he played ball in the league for, for eight-plus years, um, you know, so he understands the day-to-day, um, you know, life that we live. And, and um, you know, I really appreciate that because, uh, you know, he understands that, that uh, or he's going to coach for perfection, but, um, you know, it's not always going to be perfect. Sometimes you just got to battle and get the job done. And, and um, you know, he's, he's, he's been great to learn from. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's someone that, that uh, you're glad's on your side when you go into battle every Sunday. 
you know, just as I was kind of glancing at you guys in practice, you know, it looked like Jackson Carmen was really looking like maybe the Jackson that people haven't seen. Obviously, his, his routine has changed. He's talked about what he's doing differently outside of the building workout-wise. I mean, what have you seen from him? And what have you seen from other guys maybe that's just been so different this offseason? Yeah, you know, Jackson's been been awesome. When he when he came in in the playoffs, got to play next to him, he was he 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 did unbelievable. He did a great job and and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to you know this year for him. He's he's got a big year ahead and uh, really excited for him. You know, obviously the goal is to win a Super Bowl. The goal is to be the, you know, best you can be all pro pro bowler, but what are some specific goals that you just have for yourself whether it be on the field or off the field? Yeah, you know, um, I got goals written down, and I look at them every day. Um, you know, it's it's to start every game this season. Uh, you know, that's to take care of my body, be healthy, play well, all the things that go into that. Um, you know, every single week, uh, know the game plan in and out, so I can just just play extremely fast and and to be a Pro Bowler. Um, you know, those are my personal goals, and then um, as a team goals, uh, to win the North, um, to. Uh, be the be the number one seed in the AFC, and then and then to win the Super Bowl. You know, um, it's just we got to continue to show up every single day and put in the work to to achieve all those goals. It's kind of my last question to wrap up here. Is you know Orlando Brown joins you guys. There's a lot of high expectations. There's always been expectations, but it's even higher now that you have a, a championship winning guy like that. How much better does that make you guys? And how much better does that make you just as a guard? Yeah, Orlando's been great. Um, you know, really gotten to know him pretty well over the last few weeks and. And, uh, you know, he's got great energy. Um, he's obviously, you know, got a great pedigree, tried and true, all pro, uh, pro bowl player in our league, won Super Bowls. Uh, really excited to, to have him on our team and, and to play alongside him and to, to pick his brain and, and uh, find out how he attacks every single day and every single game. All right, that's guard Cordell Volson. Cordell, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. All right, we'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We gave our predictions on what the receiving benchmarks will be for the big three of Chase Higgins and Boyd. Benchmarks for Irv Smith, of course, Joe Burrow. And we just heard from Cordell Volson, a nice little short but exciting chat with him in the Bengals locker room. So speaking of the glass eaters, um, it's going to be a lot interesting, uh, a lot more interesting this year because you have Orlando Brown, who you did not have last year. Regardless of what happens at right tackle, you still got depth with Jackson Carmen. You got Jonah Williams. Could have Lyle Collins, depending on when he's healthy. Like, uh, I mean, you could have him in week one, I'm saying, if not later on. Um, and, of course, there might be some cuts like we talked about in other podcasts. But you're pretty loaded. You're pretty deep. You got to feel good about that. The question is, how good should you feel when you look at the trends they've had the last two years? I mean, I'll just go through the numbers quickly of sacks they allowed. Uh, they allowed 44 last year, which is an improvement from 55 the year before, which was the third most allowed in the NFL. Uh, Burrow was the most sacked quarterback, but in total, 55 allowed was the third fewest or third most. So I could see where maybe it's hard to be excited, but how much do you think that number drops? Do you think they allow 35 sacks, maybe 30 sacks? I mean, how how low do you go in terms of sacks allowed if – you know, you got this offensive line with all this depth in Orlando Brown on the left side. Well, I think you want to – I mean, I, I looked at sack percentage. You know, they finished – I mean, it went down throughout the season as that, you know, they got away from that opener. It was around 7.2% um, per, per uh, pass attempt, a lot of sack. 
I think you want to get it down probably, you know, 1.5%, you know, where Buffalo was around there, which was in the top 10 of the league. And that translated to 33 sacks allowed. You know, that 30 number, I think, um, would be, you know, a, a real good place to be. I also think, you know, they should, you know, they want to break that streak that goes back a couple of years of, you know, allowing at least one sack per game. I think they need to have some some games where, you know, they're, you know, Joe Burrow has a, has a completely clean pocket. And I know that's hard because, you know, you could have mistakes that are not on the line specifically, but I think you want to get there. I think 30 sacks, um, you know, a little less than two per game is pretty reasonable with what they've invested, um, you know, in this group. What do you think, Andrew? I mean, is that is that a fair benchmark? I, I think that makes sense, but what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you like we saw the offensive line get way better as the year kind of went along. Um, you know, I, I think that you know there was some there was some problems there with with consistency. They just, frankly, they just hadn't you know played a lot together. So I think that if you can get that number down, um, you know, you're feeling really good about that. Um, just because you need, you know, you kind of need to protect your quarterback, right? Like, and I know just it's a little bit. <laughs> it's not. It's not even. You know, you know, uh, oh, you know, sacks or negative plays or whatever. It's, you know, you, you got to start worrying about this guy's health because, you know, he's taken, you know, 124 sacks in three seasons. That's too many. Uh, that doesn't even count the playoff sacks that he's had. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. You mentioned, I was trying to find the, um, I was trying to find the stat here as, uh, as Mike was talking. I haven't found it yet, but, you know, I mean, I think there was like, it's only a handful of games in Joe Burrow's career where he has not been sacked. Um, you know, he's played uh, crazy. 42 games in his career, as I pull this up now. Um, he has been sacked, or he hasn't been sacked uh, in three games, and he's played 42 regular season games. That's insanity. Uh, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Um, that's like not even, that's barely 5% of the games that he's played in his career. That's yeah, crazy. He's, he's played, you know, he's played seven playoff games, and he's been sacked 29 times. Uh, that that's got to change. Like, and again, not all sacks are created equal. I've mentioned that on this podcast before a third and four sack on, you know, at the end of a half, when you're at midfield, you know, trying for a hail Mary or something that's different than a first and 10 sack. So it's not, you know, I think maybe the number is a, is a bad way to look at it. But again, there's gotta be games where you put up offers and there's gotta be games or a month long stretch where Joe Burrow gets sacked three times in four games. You you just cannot have not only, you know, the negative plays that are sacked, you just can't have your franchise quarterback taking that many hits. I think sack percentage, like Mike mentioned, is a better indicator. And you look at the sack percentage later on, up until obviously Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa got hurt, like it really did kind of veer down to a lower number, which was good up until the injuries. So I think if you focus on those trends, yeah, it gives you optimism, and then you double that or add on to that with Orlando Brown, it's good. And I think in all fairness, too, with Jonah Williams, I mean, look, he didn't have the best year last year. He played with two hurt knees until he basically gave out with that injury he had towards the end of the year. Um, And I could see where that was tough because he gave up 12 sacks, which is almost 25% of the sacks they allowed last year. But I think sometimes people forget how good he was the year before. I mean, that year the Bengals had one of the worst lines in the league he was a bright spot but obviously it was overshadowed because Burrow got hit so many times and half of that offensive line is not even in the NFL anymore so I think people might forget that sometimes and we'll see obviously um once he does eventually report uh whether it be 
training camp, whether it's mandatory mini camp, whenever, you know, how he looks, how healthy he is, how he competes with, you know, Jackson Carmen and Cody Ford and Hakeem Adeniji. I mean, obviously it's his job to lose, but yeah, we'll see if he, he, he bounces back healthy. He plays better at right tackle uh, or plays just as well at right tackle like he did two years ago at left tackle. That'll be an interesting question, Mark. But of course, you cannot tie all of this offensive line blocking talk together without talking about the run game, which um, zooming in just specifically on Joe Mixon and Chase Brown, because I would think we would both presume Chase Brown is going to be your Samaj P. Ryan, or at least Samaj P. Ryan's replacement. Looking at what P. Ryan and Mixon did together last year, they had just over 1,200 yards on the ground, nine tutties. You average that out to about four yards per carry between the two. They both combined for almost 100 catches. Just over 700 yards, six tutties in the air, seven and a half catches, uh, seven and a half yards per catch in the air. I guess the first question is, do you see, and it doesn't matter if Mixon has more, how much more, but can Chase Brown and Joe Mixon put up similar numbers like that, if not better? Do they take a step back because it's a one-dimensional offense? Like, what would you kind of set as like your sort of baseline for those two combined? Well, I don't. I don't. I think it'll be Travion Williams that gets the backup spot. I don't really, really? Think Chase Brown is going to uh, be there yet. Um, you know, in terms huh. of offering sort of a different uh, change of pace type of back. Um, and you know, I don't know. I think that the trajectory is going to go down uh, for Joe Mixon in terms of rushing the ball, just based on you know what running backs do and their kind of career trajectory. I mean, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I would have a hard time seeing him. Uh, I mean, he didn't play. Uh, he missed a couple of games, so maybe his numbers, you know, in aggregate are the same, but, um, you know, yards per game, I think might be down efficiency, you know, will trend downward just as he gets older. Yeah, well, I'm interested to know, though, like, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but like, why do you feel more inclined to say that Williams is going to be the backup? Like, why do you think they're not inclined to give it to Chase Brown just yet? Oh, uh, he didn't do much, uh, you know, blocking in college. I think that's going to be a big component that he has to sort of uh, learn. I, I, I think he's a, a back that benefits from more carries as opposed to less. Um, and so I think it's going to be, you know, they'll go with the veteran um, to also have, you know, a guy that, um, you know, more of a carved out third down role that I think makes sense for him as opposed to Chase Brown, who I think is sort of a, a back that, you know, will thrive with 20 carries a game, but, you know, he's not in that situation right now. I'd almost think whether it's Brown or Williams, and it could be Williams. I mean, because obviously he's the vet. He's going into his fifth year. He's earned his way on this team being a six-round pick. I mean, if it's him and Mixon, I'd be hard-pressed to see them combining for 1,000 yards. I think they break it like Piran and Mixon did last year. If they do, it's close. Um, the receiving production might be similar just because I think the Bengals are going to still do those checkdowns like they did with Mixon. I mean, Williams had a few catches, and as few as they were, they were good catches. So if he's more involved, I could see the I could see the rece- the receptions and the receiving production being similar. Man, the rushing attack, like with Mixon's age, with uh, uncertainty with Williams and Brown, I just yeah don't expect a lot from the ground game. Is it a good or bad thing? I don't know. I think it just depends on how one dimensional they become or don't become. That is a bigger question mark and another conversation for another day. I want to wrap this up, though, with an interesting question. And if you guys don't have an answer for this, don't feel bad, because honestly, I'm struggling to find an answer for this. So when you talk about, like, the St. Louis Rams' offense with Kurt Warner 20 years ago, what were they called? The greatest show on turf, right? So they have their own nickname. When you say that, you know who you're talking about and in what era. 
Do you have a nickname for the Bengals offense right now? Like just the, in the post Burrow era? Cause I don't, I just cannot think of one. And I feel, I'm just going to admit it on this podcast. I can't think of one. Do you guys have any nicknames, even if they're cheesy and cliche? Well, in, in, not in the post Burrow era. Um, or, in, in the, the post Dalton current Burrow era. I'm no, sorry. In so the Burrow I don't era. have any nicknames, but I will, I do want people to come up with something good. Uh, Cause I do, miss, I do miss that we were, when we were a nickname society. Um, I think, like I wasn't around, <laughs> I wasn't around for some of these. But like, you think about some of the names that like NFL teams, but like more than just that, like just sports teams in general. Um, you know, you had the Fab Five, the Steel Curtain, uh, the Bad Boys, uh, Phi Slamma Jamma, the Hogs, uh, the Broad Street Bullies. Um, I'm trying to Legion of Boom, obviously. That's pretty recent, yeah. Like the Purple People Eaters, the Killer Bees. You had some some awesome nicknames that were just like really fun. And I just missed when when that was a thing. So I have no idea. I'm not creative enough to do that. And I don't think it can be forced. It's got to be. Yeah, it can be. It's got to be something that comes up organically. But uh, yeah, I I hope it's, I hope whatever it happens, whenever it happens, if it happens is, uh, I hope it's a fun one. Well, you got to do something distinctive, and I don't think passing the ball a lot is very distinctive in the current NFL landscape. So, uh, I think that's, that's fair. going to be a challenge, um, you know, in terms of trying to you know create your own brand. Um, they have the same brand as as a lot of these teams do right now, which is a very good quarterback that um, throws a lot. I like glass years, but the problem is that only focuses on the offensive line. Like, if there was a way to expand that to the whole offense. That'd be cool, but yeah, I mean, Glass Eaters only focuses on like one positional group. Now, if we're talking about the Bengals' offensive line, I do like that. And if the Bengals run away with this thing next year and win the Super Bowl, and Orlando Brown is an All Pro, and like somehow Jonah Williams is an All Pro, I don't know that that will happen. Orlando Brown definitely could get it; he's come close. I mean, you get an All Pro blocker, you get some Pro Bowlers. Yeah, I think like we can look back and say, "Oh, that was a Glass Eater offensive line." So maybe we we focus on like. A, you know, a positional group. I mean, I hate calling the receivers the big three because, like, I'm stealing, you know, the credits from, like, that Miami Heat squad with LeBron, Dwayne, and Chris Bosh. So, like, I just feel bad saying that. But that's what we've gotten to, man. We need to be a nickname society. We were once a proper society. We were once a proper country. What have we become? I'm just kidding. I, I think we're doing okay. We'll, we'll get there. We're going we're gonna to have a resurgence again. Stay with us. We're going to have some more fun benchmarks, predictions, and – Lots of one-on-one interviews. If you like the one with Cordell Volson, well, guess what? We've got more coming this week. I'm not going to give any names away because you're going to have to tune in and find out who they are. And speaking of suggesting suggesting nicknames, if you want to suggest some nicknames to us, you know how you do that? You sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. It's our subtext service. It's a free two-week trial to start. We text you. You text us. You're a part of the podcast. I don't want to say we're a part of you, but in, in a way, like we are sort of a part of giving you the insights and the information you need before Twitter, before the web, before anybody gets it because you're special. So if you want to be special and feel special, go to cleveland.com slash bangles, click on the blue banner at the top. Like I said, two week free trial to start. And if you really love us, which I think you will, it's four ninety nine a month from there. Again, you get insights and insider info. No one else gets, and you get it sooner than anyone else. 
And also make sure you sign up for our Strictly Stripes newsletter at cleveland.com slash newsletters. It's free and it's in your inbox every morning. Once again, from myself, Andrew, and Mike, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. See you Wednesday.